1: Today, I'm with David Garcia. David, do you want to give a quick intro about yourself?
0: Yeah, uh, thanks, Tony. Thanks for having me. Um, So I am David Garcia. I am a longtime executive and really customer experience across a variety of different industries and companies, uh, including Disney, Amazon, uh, the Atlanta Falcons, Atlanta United, and the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, Most recently was the founder um, and the head of Hawks Ventures, a venture capital fund under the Atlanta Hawks umbrella.
1: Cool. So you, you've been in like the innovation guest experience space for like a really long time. Like, tell me your like story. Like, how did you get yourself into this field? Like what drove you to want to like pursue innovation? And then what, what made you want to get uh, into like guest experience?
0: Yeah, I think it's my story is a lot of luck. Uh, a handful of things were, you know, what I thought I wanted, and what didn't work out ended up being the best things for me. And um, so, kind of going back to college, my my plan was be an investment banker, and I was graduating in two thousand eight, which was one of the worst times to try and be an investment banker. Uh, could not get a banking job. Most of my friends that did go into banking were out of a job within three to six months. And just applied to to work at Disney World in finance, uh, kind of as a joke. Uh, sitting in my brother's apartment over Thanksgiving. I saw the post and like, I had no affinity for Disney. I wasn't a Disney file or anything like that. I was like, I saw, it. he's like, yeah, go for it. Um, and that really, that interview process is what pulled me into customer experience and making it, making me want to do that my whole career. They absolutely blew me away during that interview process, brought us down, uh, you know, 15 or so undergrads, 15 or so MBAs. Uh, three days of just wow experiences, you know, private viewing areas for the fireworks, you know, five course meals, characters popping up to meet us, you know, skip the line and ride the ride, have an Imagineer tell you about how they created it. Uh, and it was just thing after thing after thing that just got me hooked um, on being able to create that feeling for people and um, that Disney so, does such a great job at. Um, that I you know had to go there uh, and so started off in finance uh, again luck I think is the key I just ended up in a really cool role where uh, I was working in capital planning so we were doing the business cases all the performance for any capital project for parks and resorts worldwide so one day I could be working on a you know five million dollar IT project another day I'm working on a billion dollar cruise ship got to work on Shanghai Disneyland, just all these different projects that were very unique and gave me exposure to different parts of the business uh, and then exposure to a lot of different people across the business. And so from there, had the opportunity to work on a project with us at the time they called the Next Generation Experience, uh, which was looking to digitize the park experience and transform the way you experience a theme park. Uh, to make it more personalized, to leverage data, to understand kind of who you are. And, you know, how do I take a park that has 70,000 people in it, but make it feel like it was designed specifically for you? Uh, and I had two options. I had option number one, go work on that project in a finance support role. Or option number two, go work on that project in on the development side, uh, more in program management and product management. Um, never done it before, uh, but I decided I wanted to try something new. Wanted to take a challenge uh, and went to the product side. Still vividly remember my first meeting, which is a software architecture meeting where I don't think I understood more than three words that were said the entire meeting. Um, but I just went with it and I learned uh, as I went, uh, kind of helped manage the scope, manage the roadmap for that product uh, until it eventually launched as what's now known as My Magic Plus, uh, the Disney Magic Band, uh, the mobile app a fast pass. And um, so really unique, very cool experience. And um, actually, even the reason I the only reason I got that role too was because I had applied for another role, didn't get it. The hiring manager loved me, told this guy that was hiring, and I ended up in that role. So again, just one of those cases where I thought I wanted something else. It turned into something even better. Yeah. So did that for a couple of years, uh went to business school. I thought, you know, at the time, you know, you have to have an MBA if you want to climb the corporate ladder, um, but I went very intentionally, being like, I want to be an international product manager. That was my goal going into business school, uh, and ended up being able to intern at Amazon on the international app store team, and then got the offer to come back and join after business school, and ran the Brazil app store team there. Uh, for those of you that don't know the Amazon app store, it's what runs on Kindle devices, but also can be loaded on any Android device. And we were really at the time looking to grow the store. How do we grow users really to get them into that Amazon funnel? Uh, how do I get a new to Amazon customer that then you can monetize over the rest of the Amazon flywheel and services? Uh, so I got a chance to work on a very unique project uh, called Amazon Underground, which was taking apps and games, that are paid or, or paid on Google Play or on iOS. And we made them free for customers uh, on, on Amazon App Store. And then we actually paid the developers, it was at the time 0. 0.02 cents for every minute that the app was used. So we looked at the market and said, most developers are not making any money. Most customers don't wanna pay for apps and games. How do we solve both problems in a way that will be beneficial to the Amazon business? Um, and so we were able to create more engaging games, give it to, for customers for free. And then again, bring customers into Amazon and then find different ways over time to monetize them across the various different op- offerings that Amazon has. So did that for, you know, a little less than two years total, and then had the opportunity to come back home to Atlanta, which is where I grew up a huge sports fan all my life. Uh, and the Atlanta Falcons were at the time building their new stadium Mercedes-Benz Stadium and were building out their fan experience department uh and a guy I knew from Disney again a little bit of luck a guy I knew from Disney had been hired as the SVP of fan experience there uh and he was looking to hire and you know I put a put an alert on the job a year later he was hiring and I, I just went for it I was like I have to have this job I got to you know be proactive do whatever I can do to get that job um I remember, you know, it was me and a couple finalists, but they had, I was in Seattle at the time. They had come out to Seattle to look at the Seattle Sounders uh, experience that they had created. And I was like, I have to meet you when you're here. So I went to a coffee shop, made my case as to why I thought uh, I should be the guy. And, you know, right like a month later, uh, found out that I got the offer and got the move kind of back home to Atlanta. Uh, And help really design the fan experience uh, for Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is where both the Atlanta Falcons and Atlanta United, the new MLS team play.
1: Wow, that's a a very interesting story of how you like meandered uh, your career and uh, ended up where you're at. Um, So with your role at the Atlanta Hawks, like how did you use like data to um, to help enhance the, the guest experience there?
0: yeah i'd say both at the atlanta falcons and the, the atlanta hawks a big push of what we were doing and trying to lead uh, lead both leagues in fan experience was leveraging fan data in order to make decisions so was, like, some in some cases let's say at the falcons when we were first opening up the building it's like what are we going to serve at the soda fountain and traditionally you just pick whatever you want obviously you're going to have a you know, whoever your sponsor is you're going to have their products but like we actually went to the fans to say what non-carbonated beverage do you want do you want a you know power aid do you want a lemonade and they picked lemonade and we went with that and that was just kind of setting the stage for you know wanting to get fan feedback wanting to get fan data and then actually leveraging that data in order to make decisions and um, so we did that across the board at the falcons uh when it came to the hawks one of the things we first implemented um, was what we call after action meetings. So after every single you know, game or concert, uh, more than a hundred events a year, uh, we would look at all the survey data collectively as a group, um, not just the folks in the operation, but also with marketing and with sales and see what the fans were saying, what were the biggest problems, and then use those meetings to make immediate changes. So you know, you'd know, bucket those things and, hey, what can we fix between now and the first event? What can we fix in the next month or so? Or then, hey, what might we fix for next year? Um, Because it's maybe a little bit longer term solution. And just baking that into the culture. Baking into the culture that we want to hear what the customer has to say. And then we're going to not just read it, but we're going to action on it. And so that was a big part of what we did. Um, And then we were getting data from all sorts of different places. Uh, Sales reps, every time they're talking to a fan, they're collecting information. Where does that go? Right, and how do we leverage that? Uh, our you know chatbot and our customer service team that's getting you know complaints or questions you know a big part of what we would do is that like, okay we can clearly see that somebody is there people are consistently asking questions about the back policy as an example. Okay, what can we change on our website? What can we change in different parts of the experience to bring that that data to the forefront so fans can find it a lot quicker and easier? And so I think that was what led us in both cases to be kind uh, top of fan experiences, uh, listening to the fans and then actioning on on what they were telling us.
1: Oh, that's so cool that you're uh, you're able to take that information that you gathered and be able to pivot it on the next um like meeting or the next event so that you're like enhancing the experience um on the go. Like did you find it quite easy to to get that data? Like were fans very willing to like give out that information through like surveys or like chat bots or like did you have to like incentivize them be like, you know, you get like 10 bucks off if you do the survey or like how did you entice people to actually give you that data?
0: Yeah. I'd say there were, you know, varying levels of affinity and people, yeah. You know, the great thing about being in sports is you have a very passionate customer base, right? They're not just customers, they're fans. And fans a lot of times want to be part of of the business. They want to be part of the decision making. So we had a variety of different groups. I think in both places we had what we called our fan council. These were hardcore fans across, you know, some might be season season ticket holders, some might be single game buyers, but these are people that, you know, want to be part of the family, want to be included in decision making. And so we would, you know, get feedback from them, get survey data from them, but also run focus groups or use them as beta testers on different things that we were doing. They're actively involved. And then the rest, you know, where I think most companies, if you get a two to 3% survey response rate, that's great. You know, I think at the Falcons, we were getting upwards of 20, 30% response rate. Um, you know, at the Hawks we did do some incentivizing with maybe a gift card here or there. Um, but I think we just get more data in sports than maybe the traditional company because of the affinity that people have for the brand.
1: Gotcha. And, um, other than like survey data and other than like chatbot data, were there any other types of data did you collect? Like, did you collect like sensor data? Did you collect um, like uh, vision data? Like, what uh, did you actually make it like multimodal, where it's like it's coming from different sources? Like, what what um, were you able to get like a, a wide variety of of the data, or or was it mostly just text data?
0: Now, I think the things that were mostly actionable was more from both quantitative and qualitative survey stuff. There were other things that we could see. So, for example, looking at our Wi-Fi traffic, and you can see a big difference between a basketball game and a concert, where in a basketball game, uh, in how much is being uploaded versus how much is being downloaded, versus a concert is almost 100% upload. Like people are taking videos, uploading, taking videos, uploading, and we're in a basketball game. There's a lot more downloading, people interacting in w- between breaks. And so you can see a different experience play out through some of that data. Um, we explored a v- variety of different things um, using beacons and data points and flow and you know using that to make decisions. So uh, I think there was... Some of those elements, I think the challenge that we had always in sports was we're very small and very lean teams. Um, And so we might have access to a lot of data and access to a lot of sources of information, but we don't have the people or the manpower to do anything with it. So I think that's what's exciting about the future of where technology, where AI is taking us is that for a low resource team, a low manpower team, you... Might hopefully be able to make more out of that in the future and make it more actionable than you can today you know, with the small teams that we have. That's
1: really cool. So, like, um, you were head of the Hawks Venture, um, so you focused primarily on investing in like innovative startups. So, what, what were some like key characteristics that you were looking for for startups that um, specifically like revolutionize guest experience? Yeah, I think we were focused on.
0: You know, a couple of things. We said companies that make the world more fast and convenient, more fun and unique or more personal and helpful. That's really the guiding post of things that we wanted to invest in. Uh, In many cases, we looked at, you know, how can our brand help accelerate this startup at an early stage? Um, But we were really, it didn't have to be sports specific, right? Sports could be a use case, but we were really looking for, you know, things that, you you as a consumer would transform the way you experienced it. So as an example, our our first investment was a company called Arena, which is a connected fitness strength device. So uh, it's about a 40 to 50 pound portable box uh, uses an electric motor uh, in order to create 200 pounds of resistance out of a cable, Uh, but it's paired to your mobile app or to your tablet. So no screen, no device uh, that had the capability to be able to not only measure every single thing that you did, uh, but then generate customized and personalized workouts using AI based on your actual data. So knowing what you're good at, knowing what you struggle at, being able to recommend different exercises to help you at the things that you struggle at. Um, I think those were the types of products that we were looking at things that were taking the next step. Um, And, you know, in this case, working out has been around forever, but how do you, you know, use technology to make it better and make it more efficient and make people uh, more efficient when they're with their time, when they work out.
1: That's cool. So um, of the companies that you've like invested in, what what was your like favorite, like startup, what, which one, like really emphasized the uh, the the core values that you're looking for and like something that you're like, that you want to invest in.
0: Yeah. I think a lot, a lot of my favorites are sometimes ones we didn't invest in uh, for a variety of reasons. We, we were very, um I'll so industry agnostic so we were able to look at a lot of different things one company that I found fascinating was a company called space perspective uh, which is a space balloon tourism company so taking people up uh, to about a hundred thousand feet where you are kind of you know, in space not technically in space but you see the blackness around you it's a six hour experience you know two hours on the way up two hours at the top two hours on the way down food beverage kind of like a way to experience space without having to be able to go on a rocket and handle the G's, making space more accessible. And, you know, what i found that fascinating and you got to take a leap to get there, but you know, space is, I believe part of our future. It seems far-fetched. It seems far out there. Um, This is the type of company that can make it more accessible to more people, make it accessible to the masses and then kind of get us there over time. Um, But it was, you know, what was fascinating to me were all the parallels that that business had to the sports industry, right? You're selling tickets to a six hour experience. You have, you know, premium customers that you have to really be able to deliver that personalized experience for them, that, you know, high, you know, truly high level elite experience um, to them and, and self-sponsorship to it and all the different elements that we have in a in a sports arena really parallel really well with that business um another one that I, we we really liked is a company uh called be fake uh is their app it's a generative ai company um that uses uh prompts to create you know images for you Um kind of the antithesis of be real this is more like hey it's you but it's you in a fantasy type environment Um but what's really cool about what they were doing is you know How they, their vision of taking all of this data and all the things that they were collecting and building it into a kind of B2B platform to generate conversational bots that could be embedded uh, in other industries. So, for example, their bots may know how to interact with, you know, a 15-year-old today, right? How do they take that and sell that to a gaming company? that can put these bots into their game. And then once you come into the game, there's already people there to interact with. Um, so it's really taking that leap that the future is not just human to human interaction, human to human conversation, but it's human to bot uh, conversation. Um, and again, taking a, a leap, that that's the direction that we're headed in. Um, and then the really the other part that I, I was pretty interested in and we saw a lot of companies in this space is You think about discovery and you think about recommendations and how do I choose what I want to do? Um, you know, coming from Amazon, right? You go on Amazon and you're going to buy a say, you want to buy a $40 sous vide machine, you're going to find you know hundreds of products, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of reviews. You're going to start going through them, might be 4.5 star rating, but you're going to see that one-star review and that two-star review and you're going to start reading it and you're going to start overthinking what should be a go to the shelf, grab a $40 product and go home. But now you're next thing, you know, you spent two hours, three hours researching a $40 product. Who knows why, but now we've gotten to the point where, you know, Google reviews and Amazon and Yelp and it's almost too much data. And so we saw a lot of companies really working on uh, how do you make you know, travel recommendations, more accessible and fine, using people that you trust, people that you follow, uh, influencers that you, you respect and and you want to know what they're doing versus the masses. How do you you know, if I'm going to decide where I want to eat, I'm just going to go look and say, Hey, there's 10 people I know that recommend this restaurant, not the 1500 reviews, some of which like it, some of which still, so that was a really interesting area where we saw, you know, a lot of AI coming into play as well. Of Like, how do you, how do you help consumers make decisions in an era where there might be too much information and it paralyzes people. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder.
1: I'd say the, the choice paralysis based on having too many choices to choose from or too much reviews to look at, um, really does like hinder your ability to pick something. Like I know for me, every time I buy something on Amazon, I always try to look at like, the three-star reviews, just because usually the three stars have like, pros and cons. I try not to look at like the five stars or the one stars, because then I'll just go down like a rabbit hole and just start looking at uh, at all these reviews. Um, but what the thing that I really like about you is that your work really, um, it really emphasizes like inclusivity, uh, from what I've noticed. And like, so I'm wondering, like, how how are you able to like take data to like create more inclusive experiences for like really diverse audiences at, at sporting events, right? So like, I like, I'll have like a friend and he he'll be like Muslim, he'll come in, and I'm Asian, all right? We're we're completely different. Like, how are you able to take like data to be able to allow us to come in and have this like great experience at these events? Yeah.
0: So it's been a big transition uh, in sports over years because it used to be everything was anecdotal based like you're making decisions based on anecdotes that you hear. And many times those anecdotes that you're going to get are going to be from the most vocal, right, the most vocal fans who are going to complain the most, or many cases the premium ones, the ones that have the ear of the tops of the organizations, and you're making decisions on things that might not be relevant to the masses or to the broader. so a big push in what we were doing is trying to figure out how do we know who you are, right? And by knowing who you are, how do we personalize that experience? So there's obviously been a push towards digital. Very, I uh, probably can't remember the last time we had a paper ticket if you went to a sporting event. Uh, a few places still haven't, but right going to digital allows us to get a little bit more information about who you are what you like, if we can get you to download the app, we can take that to the next level. If we can get you to use our wallet, we can take that to the next level. Um, and just getting, finding different ways uh, to incentivize you to interact with us. You know, whether it be, you know, playing a lottery game with your app and interacting with the video board, all these different things were ways to connect to an individual user and then personalize that experience. Um, we had done a lot of testing, really going back to my Disney days of the Magic Band and RFID. We tried to recreate that experience as well in some of our premium clubs. So, uh, coming out of COVID, we put RFID in all of our uh, credentials, uh, and then one allowed people to flow in and out of the clubs without having to stop. Right? We could read it as you hit a as you hit an RFID reader. We could see if you had a valid badge or not. You know, as we looked at our tablet. But then we also created a portal for you to give us information about yourself. What's your birthday? What's your name? What's your favorite drink? So when you checked in came in through the parking garage and we knew your favorite drink was a Jack and Coke, we had that Jack and Coke waiting for you at the front of the club. Uh, or we were able to greet you by name. These small things that don't seem that important, but is really about how do you make a person feel special? How do you make a person feel included, seen, heard, et cetera? Those are the things that transform a customer experience it's not just the amenities but it's how you make a person feel
1: you have a lot of experience in in this area what do you currently see that's happening right now in in this space how do you feel about like the new tech that's coming into um like fruition like for instance gen ai you think that gen ai is going to impact the guest experience um arena or do you think that it's just gonna be like a buzzword where it's just gonna pass through and there's gonna be something else on the horizon Like what's your, um, what's, what's your take on like this new tech that's coming in?
0: Yeah. I, you know, you can parallel this across other things that we've seen and kind of those buzzwords of this, you know, web three and blockchain and NFTs. Those all hit us several years ago, right? It's like, everybody was a race to get out your NFT, get out your, an NFT of your mascot. And what else can you give? And we did some pilots and some tests around that. That was one at the time that I. I frankly, I just, I didn't buy into, I didn't really believe in, it didn't feel transformational to me. It felt like a different way to do something that we can already do today. Many cases, companies we were talking to in that space, it's like, okay, cool, but I can do exactly what, in terms of how I deliver it to the customer, there might be different nuances in the technology, but the end customer experience was fundamentally the same in many cases, whether it was on the blockchain or whether I was doing it with a traditional loyalty program. That's an example. Um, So that was one that felt more bobs and kind of came and went, this is one, as we dug into the space looking for investments and we kept seeing across, across everywhere, this really feels like the next internet, right? The next, you know, you're going to have your, you've got your foundational uh, LLMs and things that are going to be, you know, that are powering everything, but then you're going to have all the ancillary products that are going to build on top of it over time and as we looked one of the categories we looked at was the future of work and you look at how the younger generation you know 50 percent of them do not want to work a traditional job they don't want a boss they don't they don't dream about climbing the corporate ladder like you know my generation or some of the earlier ones uh, there are going to be services and things that are going to continue to pop up that's going to enable that solo entrepreneur to be more productive to accomplish more Things that you just couldn't do in the past. So I think I do think it's truly transformational. Um, In some cases, you you can read the stories potentially scary, like it can go too far. um, And how do you control it and make sure that uh, we don't get there? But I I do think you're going to see a lot of disruption um, over the next five years um, on what AI can do to a variety of different industries. Um, the ones that are maybe safer, I will say, it is like sports and entertainment. You know, you're know, you not replacing uh, the players on the court or the players on the field. It is an, an entertainment experience that is still better consumed live, is still better consumed in person with people, that social element that so many of us crave. Uh, live entertainment industry post-COVID is as hot as it's ever been. Um, so I do think it's really going to be more a focus for that industry of how do we use the technology to enable the delivery of better experiences, the delivery of more personalized experiences versus the replacing of experiences which might happen in, in some other industries.
1: Yeah, I, I think Gen AI has a really big impact on um, the guest experience. Uh, like for instance, like sentiment analysis, right? Um, it In the past, you can do you can use traditional NLP, natural language processing, to do the sentiment analysis on customer feedback, but now with chatbots, I mean, it can analyze those sentiments very, very fast and very well. And it could also help categorize it into, like, certain tags or buckets so so you can, you can better sort it. So I think um, in terms of feedback, reviews of, like, um, events, uh, gathering that information through, like, unstructured uh, text such as surveys and, and feedback... Gen AI is going to completely dominate that field and be able to help accelerate and gather that information a lot faster. If you were to compare like traditional NLP versus Gen AI in terms of getting that sentiment analysis, Gen AI is going to win hundred percent of the time. Um, yeah. so I, I think that's- that it's, it's, it's really going to help um, uh, provide that value to that, get data gathering so that at your next venue, at the next concert, next event, you can do um, you can take all that, those learnings and you can like improve upon them. And then the experience improves, you know, uh, drastically, um, event after event.
0: Yeah. And also, also the communication point with fans and your customers is made a lot easier. So as an example, we were meeting with a startup, uh, who had one customer success rep, that one customer success rep was managing 2,600 accounts because he was leveraging AI tools to send out automatic emails that were still personalized, still felt like they were, you know, natural and uh but the scale of uh, if you can think of a sales team same thing and we might have a sales team that has 70 people um you can one have fewer people but you can just accomplish so much more um not just on the experience side how do we make the in-venue experience better but how do we make the connection between us and the fan stronger uh leveraging these these tools
1: yeah but the personalization is is key right sending out like a Boilerplate template email to a client sucks. Like you're gonna see through it real quick. Having some type of AI system like Gen AI read through your previous events that you've gone to, and then write you a very customized um, email or or message that that's catered to you and that be able to, to match you up with like upcoming events. Um, that type of matchmaking and personalization is gonna be so sweet in the in the guest experience. Um, I, I've already seen a lot of success in terms of like how sales reps are using gen ai for using that technique where they're like for instance scraping uh linkedin content uh linkedin profiles of the target that they're trying to um uh pursue and then they're also doing some web scraping of like previous articles that like, like that target is, has like published and then they use gen ai to like produce a curated personalized message through like a code uh email um uh Type of approach and be able to get that um, that that target to respond back because it's so personalized, so targeted. I think the key to success in terms of like the future of guest services is like hyper personalization using Gen AI, taking all that information that uh, you've collected from the guests um, and then feeding it into like a Gen AI like algorithm and then producing these personalized messages for them. So that they feel as if like they're, you know, th- th- because you said uh, before this, like the these guests are not just regular guests, they're fans. So if you can like make them feel as if like they're a family uh, through personalization, I think that's going to be key to like um, capturing them and retaining them for like multiple years. No, and I think
0: to not go too far, personalization doesn't always mean that, hey, I'm going to use that information in a way that maybe for some people it's uncomfortable. It actually means knowing that I like to be greeted by name and I want you to know me and I want you to do this, that, or the other. And you may not, like, you may wanna not be bothered. Or you know, I like to use, if I'm on a plane, like, you know, in a plane is, you know, you got 200 passengers on the plane, you should know every single passenger on that plane and what they like and what they don't like. You should know they always book a window seat or a middle seat or an aisle seat and not and not upgrading them in something they, they don't like. You should know, you know, whether or not they want to sleep on the flight or be woken up and given to me, those are the kind of the next level of like, okay, what do I want? But also just as important, what do I not want? And don't deliver to me the things that I don't want. Uh, because that, that creates a negative experience that you want to avoid. If you know, And sometimes for some people it can be creepy. I'll give you a quick example. The other day, uh, my Echo device, uh, popped up and told me that my Amazon Fire Stick is low on AAA batteries and therefore I should buy AAA batteries. It's like,
1: okay, I can
0: see why as a product manager that would seem helpful. But for us, it was just more creepy. It's like, I know when the remote's out a battery and I'll change it with the batteries that I have. I don't need my devices always talking to each other and telling me. And so you really need to understand people at that level to know what not to do just as importantly as what to do.
1: Yeah, I'd say like one of my biggest turnoffs is like getting cold emails. From like a CRM bot that forgot to put my name on onto the uh, the name tag. so it'll be like hello, and then it'll be like brackets, and then it'll say name, like first name, and I'll look at them like oh my god, someone didn't didn't double check the uh, the bot, and then on the flip side, where it's like too personalized, you, you feel as if like there's an invasion of privacy. So there has to be like some type of like nice inter, intermediate where it's like there's enough personalization, but there's not there's it's not like boilerplate. I, so I'm interested in your like opinion on how like organizations can balance the use of AI machine learning data science with the need for like genuine human interaction in terms of like guest services like wh- where like where where would that cutoff be where there's in your opinion, like if it's too much automation where like it it moves away from the human interaction, you're not getting that personalized like human touch what what's your opinion on?
0: Uh, I strongly believe, especially in the, you know, in the experience industry where you know, you're going somewhere physically, you cannot replace the human to human interaction. It doesn't matter what we did. That's still the most talked about thing in any survey that we always got was the interactions with the staff. The staff can do things that other, they can, they are the ones who can make you feel special. They're the ones who keep you coming back. In many cases, the reason someone will renew their ticket is because of the experience that they have with the usher. They don't want to leave them they're part of their family and i think one of the things disney has always done best I, i'll rave her out about disney cruise lines right you rotate when you go from restaurant to restaurant to restaurant you rotate with the same service staff so by the end of the cruise that service staff feels like family they are hugging your kids. your kids love them and being able to create those kind of moments and those kind of experiences you can't replace so really, uh, I've always thought in you know, Disney, we were big about that. It's like the technology should be invisible in many cases. The technology should be a background to enhance the interactions between people and staff and guests, not necessarily to replace them because you can't. The, and I think we all learned coming out of COVID that we need that human interaction, right? It is important to people's health, to their wellness, to feeling part of a community. Uh, if you've done any the reading or the Netflix shows on longevity, right? You see, that's the constant theme It's the element of community. And that's what sports and entertainment can deliver to people. And, and that's a piece that you can't replace. So I do think a lot of this technology will, will be used to give me more information about you to deliver a better experience for you. Um, in some cases, no, in digital only sure, like there might be a you know, specific one-to-one conversation that involves no human interaction, um, but in person, uh, in a physical and space and environment, uh, I don't think we ever replace that people element.
1: So tell me some insider knowledge. Like, uh, what are you building right now? Anything cool? Like, uh, give me, give me the hot scoop on like the next hot thing that, uh, that David's building. Yeah,
0: so I, I will say the thing for me that I learned as I uh, ran a startup for for a year while running up the venture fund or spinning up the venture fund, um, it was really great uh, and great learning experience to be a venture capitalist, but it was very clear for me that I want to be the person doing it, not necessarily the person funding it. Um, so a lot of what I'm focused on right now is what is that next project? What is that next business uh, that I want to build? Um, there is a Fascinating book right now that I'm reading called Ultra Learning by Scott Young, uh, which you know uses examples of people that you know, example learn a language in three months and become fully fluent. Uh, he actually learned took the entire MIT computer science coursework in a year uh, and became proficient. in then you know, the different you know principles and tactics to be able to learn something really quickly. You know what do you want to learn? Why do you want to learn it? And then how do you learn it? That for me is what I'm focused on right now. Is hey, what is the area in the world that I you know believe is is going to grow? Is going to be large? Learning those skills and then you know hopefully building something in that
1: space. Very. Do you have any tips and tricks for anyone that wants to like do the same thing that you're doing, where like they want to venture off and do innovative like VC work, or if they want to get into guest experience? If you had to like kind of redo it again, how would you do it better?
0: Yeah, I, I think some of the things that I would do better if I had to do it again, to is just more self-learning. I think I learned it later in life. I learned it, honestly, where I really dove in is when I went from being more outside on the corporate side, on the strategic side, to actually running a frontline team. I've never read more books in my life trying to learn, like, how do you build a culture? How do you train and develop for a staff of 400 people? And that is when I really got into this, you know, how can I be learning every single day? What's something new, different perspectives. Don't always learn from the same author, the same person, mix it up and try different things and see how that challenges you. I think that's the the number one thing anyone can do for their career is take ownership uh, of what you want to learn and where you want to go and then go for it. Like just take action. In um, a lot of cases I was, I'll say for me and I've it. The startup that I finally uh, kind of joined and ran, it took me a year and a half to get myself comfortable to make that jump, right? It's scary. And, you know, if I had anything to do again, it's just, just go for it. There's no perfect time for anything. If you're sitting there thinking that you want to quit your job because you have a great idea and you want to do it, but it's just not the right time. You're waiting for reasons X, Y, and Z. There is no right time. Uh, the right time is is now. And so that would be the one thing I would do is um, if I felt something that I wanted to do and wanted to do
1: it, I would do it now and and not try and time it or wait wait for the perfect moment. Gotcha. And uh, if I had to get in touch with you, like, how would I do that? Yeah, you can
0: uh, reach me. My email is jdavidgarcia404
1: at gmail.com um, or through LinkedIn. Uh, find me, David Garcia. And lastly, like, what's your prediction on what's going to happen in the next like one to two years in terms of like how this, how the uh the industries are evolving? Because Gen AI is just evolving so fast right now. Like, typically, um, I'll give you some backstory. Like, there there'll be like packages or like programs that were that are traditionally created that would be deprecated in like ten years, but we're seeing like these Gen AI AI products being deprecated in three to six months. So the evolution of new products that come out are being um, like becoming old and stale very, very fast in the age of Gen AI. In my opinion, I think Gen AI is going to basically change every industry, especially guest experience. Like what's your hot take on like what's going to happen next, um, especially in this like Gen AI era? Yeah,
0: I, I think you really nailed it. I think what happens next is we all have to learn to be more adaptable. Uh, we need to learn to change and change more rapidly. Businesses are gonna have to be able to change and adapt the way they do things because you, you've got the technology adapting, but if you also look at the consumers today and the younger demographics, they also change and adapt and move on from one thing to the next thing much quicker than any of us did before. Um, and so I, I think that's really a story. the story is adaptability and you know how do you set up an organization, especially large organizations to move quickly. And that, I think, will be the hardest challenge that we'll see in the next one to five years.
1: Well, thanks so much for being on the show, David. And until next time, stay curious. Thanks, Tom.